may the best brand win with Scott Robertson's Music Biz Marketing Strategies. Now, here's your host, Scott Robertson. Hey, hey, everybody. Happy Friday. You are tuned to May the Best Brand Win on Intertalk Media, the undisputed leader in music biz talk. And I am Scott, your host, and a man who, who really misses people yelling out Freebird. Miss, you know, I never thought I'd miss that, but I, I miss that. I also miss playing Mustang Sally as many times as I played it in my life. I, I wouldn't mind playing it again. Uh, hope to be playing it again in a bar, dive bar somewhere real soon. Uh, you know, I, I'd play Mustang Sally to like a group of completely sober real estate agents right now if they would let me. I mean, there's, uh, you know, that's that's where I'm at, honestly. Also, I'm, I'm very much missing our producer, uh, Paul B., who is uh, still uh, locked away in federal custody. Um, you know, I, I'm sorry. I mean, uh, I just got this paper handed to me. Uh, Self-distancing, uh, quarantine uh, type of thing. Yeah. So, uh, Paul, hopefully, will be rejoining us at, at some point. But for now, it's just me. And uh, someday soon, Paul will be back on the show. We're looking forward to that. Uh, so who am I, what do I do, and how do you reach me? Uh, so I am Scott Robertson. I run a company called Robertson Communications. Uh, I help companies win at marketing. Uh, I'm a public relations and marketing consultant. been doing that for a long time. Uh, I'm also a certified uh, story brand guide, so I can help create uh, better brand stories, website wireframes, sales copy. Of course, my weapon of choice, public relations. Love it. For my uh, for all of my clients, um, I can help any business win at marketing, and I can really turn that story around. So, uh, give me a call. I am at um, uh, way to reach me is to uh, send me an email to Scott at Robertson.com, two M's like communications.com, or find me on Twitter at Robertson.com, two M's like communications, or you can uh, find me on Facebook, facebook.com slash Robertson.com again, two M's like communications. As I uh, reach out, talk to me. I love to get emails from folks that listen to the show, uh, that, that have seen the Periscopes, and that uh, you know maybe have a you know a, a similar opinion to mine or a different opinion. Um, you know, all, all of that is uh, is welcome, and I always enjoy uh, talking to folks about marketing. This stuff is always a lot of fun and very interesting. So, now uh, you guys are smart. You're so smart because you have tuned into a really good one. This is. Um, uh, episode 155 of the show. This, I call this the dangers of media wordplay. Now, you may not know this, not everybody, if you don't work with the media, you may not know this, but how a news story gets covered by the media kind of determines the takeaway value for the audience, right? So words matter. Uh, putting them together one way can lead to, you know, a logical, calm decision-making public. Doing it another way, uh, results in stores being cleaned out and people walking walking around the street looking like extras. They're going to walk in for, to show Dookie Hauser MD uh, or, you know, ER or something. So it's like, we're going to talk about the subtleties of the wordplay, how they do what they do and how you can make sure they don't do it to you and make sure they don't do it to your family. Uh, see what I did there? See that? Uh, and, and also, we're going to hit who's winning and losing this week on another amazing and highly educational episode of May the Best Brand Win right here on Intertalk. So let's just dig right into it here for segment one. You know, today's media rely on a lot of sensational headlines that often aren't even in line with the findings of the story. Okay. 
And it's a shame that that's a tactic that's used. But, you know, when you look at the rate of which media are going out of business, the LA Times just closed uh, the Glendale paper today um, and, and a couple of other community newspapers today and all of those journalists uh, out on the street, right? So it's not, it's not a growth business, uh, journalism isn't. It doesn't make a lot of money. And so the only thing they can do to get your attention is to scare the hell out of you. It's all comes from kind of sensationalistic, you know, stuff. And it works. And it really works. So um, many headlines, and you may not know this, but many headlines on social media news posts are written by people. They are written by smart AI algorithms who sort of learn what the audience likes and feed them more of it. Okay. Uh and I know that may come as a shock if you if you don't know that that's happening and has been happening for a while now. Um, that is happening. So uh, I have a lot of friends that uh, corroborate that story that work for major newspapers that tell me, um, yeah, we don't get to write headlines. The, the the computer does that. You know, the the uh, the AI does that. And that's not good, folks, because AI will learn what you like and what triggers you and that kind of stuff. And they will just keep feeding and And then the AI will just keep feeding you more stuff like that. So your perception of the world can become really, really skewed. Your perception of the world can become like, um, well, I think every story is, uh, you know, because I like this one story or whatever. Every story suddenly is like that. And then you feel there's there's a, a push towards the trend of, well, then the world must be like that. But that isn't true, especially on social media. What you have to understand is that that's not a representation of the world. That is a representation representation of your world. Okay? It's very, very different. It learns what you like. It feeds you more of it. That's why people who are angry and they post a lot of angry things, AI says, well, this person likes to be angry, so I'm going to send them more stuff that makes them angry. This was, this was, I'm, you know, you can try it if you, if you want to, but it's really, really smart technology and it does, and it, um, and it does that. And now, now, now that you know that you might look at your social feed a little bit differently. You might notice that, um, I've had people tell me this say, yeah, I noticed that, you know, I only get stories about this. And I only get stories about that. And I just tell them, I'm like, yeah, the social media algorithms learned what you liked and they fed you more of it. And the more you like it, the more they feed it to you. The more you like it, the more they feed it to you right? That is how an algorithm works. It's not making a judgment call. It just, it's, it's just a macro. It just follows um, the computer protocols that need to be there. So, so make sure you know that. Make sure, um, I've had some people say that to me too. They say, well, I think the whole, whole, I get all my news from social media and the whole world is this. And I always correct that sentence. I say, no, no, what you mean is that your world is like this. Your world that you created, the people that you let in, the people that you blocked out, the things that you liked, the things that you favorited, the things that those kind of things, that is your world. Don't you ever forget for a second that it's custom created for you by you. Really important that you that you know that. Um, you know, it's also keyword based. You know, for like Fox News, for example, Fox News will they will pull any story it talks about the flag and push it and push it in their social feed. Right. And then it go to all the people that have been angry about stories about the flag in some way or whatever that they have, they have a few, if you watch Fox news, social stories that come out, um, you know, especially from, if you're comparing against the master Fox news website and what they push socially, you can kind of see that they, they push stories about the flag, about religious freedom, about anything that's mentioned socialism, anything that mentions uh, Democrats in a negative way, anything that that kind of stuff becomes a story. 
you know, for CNN and like the majority of the mainstream media, man, it's just just one word. It's just Trump. What whatever whatever our president does, good, bad, indifferent, you know, they, um, you know, are are all over it. And usually 91% has been proven that 91% of the mainstream media coverage of the president is negative all the time. Um, and that's why you see um, a lot of Democrats that believe the mainstream media, you know, think thinks so differently about the same actions of, of our president as a lot of people who don't. I'm in PR, so I've entrusted the media in decades. And so it's like, you, you can't use me as a, as a litmus test. I've, I've, I never believe what the media says because I influence it so regularly, it would scare the living crap out of you if I told you what I was able actually able to do. Um, so, you know, but that's what gets ratings. That's how they play to their base, right? And you are being played to their base, both on the right and the left, just so you know. And so, you know, I thought, but I what I realized when I talk to people on social media, particularly about the the virus, but and usually about you know something interesting politically, that kind of thing. I do get involved in those conversations on social media. You probably shouldn't, but I do. Uh, but a few, there are a few common things that the media do to um, sensationalize a story, and um, unfortunately, it works really well, really well. So I'm going to show you some of those. I'm going to pull the curtain back and show you a few of those tricks today, and then so you won't let that stuff work on you anymore. Um, when, or at least you'll be aware of it, and then you can make a choice as to whether you want it to work on you or not. But um, you know, usually I'm talking about marketing. This show is really more about communications, and it's really more about media communications and being able to spot that, and being able to spot that for you know for yourselves and and that and that because I just think it's a good public service. So let's talk about it. Um, let's talk about a, a classic first of all: may and could. The words may and could. Uh, let me give you an example. The CDC says coronavirus could spread via the soles of your shoes. Uh, Gov- Governor Newsom says more than half of California could contract coronavirus. KTLA reports more than half of Californians will get infected with coronavirus in the next two months, Newsom says. Do you see the jump that was made there? Do you, do you see the jump that was made Newsom said more than half could contract coronavirus. The next news report that you see says more than half will get infected, right? So we've moved from could to will really fast with no no change in what the person said. That's just a choice of what you use to cover it, right? Now, you see that, right? You see what they did? You see the trickery? Okay, so... Here, you know, may and could is like, you know, I always think of like, I, I always think of Wayne's World. I always think of, yeah, and monkeys could fly out of my butt. You know, I mean, it's like, there's there's a lot of, there's, you could really do a lot of coulds with the world. If you're a journalist, you can make a lot of things could. An asteroid could hit the earth. You know, we could find a second earth, you know, that's filled with humanoid creatures that love to sing Jason Mraz songs. You know, we, I, I could, I could, could you all day long? I could may you all day long, but when you make the jump from could to will, you know, and the media do it really, really, they'll take the the governor of California said very clearly that um, you know half the population of the state could get the virus. Yeah, they could. You know, they they they, and at that stage, they absolutely could. 
they also could not, you know, that's also, you know, that's the part that they kind of leave out. Why? The reason that people use it is because may and could are fear triggers. They, um, uh, we use them in our own minds all the time. We extrapolate situations to, the, our, to our wildest fears. Oh, well, if this happens, then this could happen, and then this could happen, and then this could happen, and this could happen, and this could happen. And we can could ourselves to death, man. We could may ourselves to death if we want to. It works because human beings are easily afraid of things. We, our nature to survive and thrive, um, our survival instinct kicks in. And when we start to get afraid, we start to um, be, we start to create a narrative of fear around our own fears, right? I think that's what's happened with this coronavirus. I think that a lot of people just took this to the the nth degree when it was only going to be, a, you know, kind of a, a new strain of flu or a little bit more serious strain of flu. And, and the facts really kind of play that out. Um, so that's may and could. Be careful of may and could. In the last segment, I'm going to tell you how to defeat these things, by the way. But be careful of may and could. The shocker headline. The shocker headline. Are you ready? Uh, uh, here's one, I, a couple, just a few I pulled this week. LA Rams, Brian Allen tests positive for coronavirus. I couldn't smell anything, right? The, the, the little personal narrative is on, on there, right? And it's a, and it's a headline designed to pull you into the story. Unfortunately, and, and it's a device that they have to use. Like I said, journalism's scraping the bottom of the barrel for anybody to pay attention to them. So it's like, you know, and anybody to trust them because of, you know, crap like this, honestly. But, um, you know, Brian, Adams, he's the center for the Rams. He tests positive for coronavirus. I couldn't smell anything. Now, if you read the story, he, he got the virus three weeks ago. He's totally fine. He's back to lifting 300 pounds, you know, on a deadlift. You know, he's, he's back in the gym and he gave this interview where he talks about, I couldn't smell anything while he's getting ready to deadlift 300 pounds behind him. That's pretty healthy, I'm going to say. And, uh, and, and, you know, but they use this headline to draw you in, to scare you, to use your own fear to drive you into paying attention to their coverage. And I'm going to say that again, just so you know, to use your own fear to drive you to pay attention to their coverage. That's the plan. That is why this is, this is done. Here's another one. The government's small business loan money is gone. Now what? Right. It designed to, to make you, if you're a small business owner and you have a loan application in or you're getting ready to make a loan application, it's designed to agitate that fear. Agitate the fear so that you'll be like, oh, crap, I better read this story so I know what to do. All they care about is to get you to read the story. It does leave a wake of, you know, irreparable fear and damage into society. But that's not the, you know, that's not the consideration or the intent, as we talked about on the um, the episode we did about journalism and sort of the, um, you know, the journalist creed and all that. Here's another one. New Jersey governor ignores the Bill of Rights in exclusive interview. Ignores the Bill of Rights. Now we're talking. Look at that. We're ignoring the Bill of Rights now. So that's a shocking headline. Turns out, the story isn't about that. The story is about something else completely. It's not about the New Jersey governor and ignoring the Bill of Rights. He's, you know, it's just, you know, they they use these things to pull us in. And then when you click on them more times, the algorithms learn that and they feed you more of the same crap. Right. So it creates this fear cycle 
that is difficult to break until you know what's happening to you, and then it's easy to break. Or if you work in public relations, you haven't believed a word of this crap. I, you know, you guys would laugh out loud, but um, I, I'm in a private Facebook group with a bunch of PR and marketing people, and the PR people are the funniest people during a crisis. They're like, yeah, that's crap. That doesn't, that, that's, that, you know, that, I mean, just shooting things down right and left. We have learned that the majority of news coverage is complete and total bullshit. Honest to God. And the reason we know that is because we are partially responsible for putting that stuff out there as a profession. Let's be honest. I mean, we, the PR profession is built on that. And so, um, not that we're trying to do it in a disingenuous way. We're trying to do it in a right way, you know, but really, you know, it's important to know that stuff. Here's another one, another shocker headline for you. In New York City officials just artificially increased their COVID death total by 57%, right? And, and that is a headline that's designed to pull you in, get you to read the story, get you scared, get you upset, piss you off, you know, have you like it, share it, you know, all of these kind of things. That's what that's designed to do, right? It's used because it gets the news outlet what they're looking for, attention. You know, you ever hear the thing about kids misbehave to get attention? News media misbehave to get attention. They get clicks, they get attention, they get ratings, they get all these things that they desperately need to survive. Remember, we talked about the desperate need to survive at the beginning of this segment. If you don't believe me, I want you to go Google how many journalism jobs have been lost in the last 10 years. It will blow you off of both your feet. It's ridiculous. We've lost, we've lost two-thirds of the working journalists in the world. And then we wonder why we don't have journalism. You don't have journalism because you, you won't pay for it. And because you, uh, and because we, you know, we sent all the journalists packing, you know, they all joined the PR profession. They're all doing what I do for a living, which is good. You know, everybody's got to make a living. That's why we use it, why it works. It works because people are too damn lazy to read the whole story and find out the facts. A shocker headline works because you, you, you're willing to assume that the rest of the story means what the headline means without ever validating anything. And then people just like it, share it, click it put it, you know, send it to people, yada, yada, you know, all this kind of thing. You know, it works because we are too lazy to read the whole story and find out the real facts. Okay. Um, uh, a lot of these, um, a lot of these social and not just news, news coverage, a lot of these social posts, um, uh, the one about the gas pumps, the one about you could get COVID-19 uh, from uh, touching the gas pumps that was shared like with, from hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people because, hey, I got this from a friend. I got this from a friend. They can never name the friend. They can never name who it actually happened to. And that's because there's agencies that kind of have a questionable ethical compass out there that create things. Some of them are in foreign countries like Russia, like Vietnam, things like that. And then they create things like this and put them, and somebody puts starts to put them out in some fake Facebook accounts and Twitter accounts, and see how many people they can get to start to like them. There's another one going on around right, right now about the Spanish flu, and the Philadelphia parade. You may have seen that one, and and it's designed specifically to get people afraid to start the economy back up. I will bet you money it comes from somebody who's got a motive to stall this economy. And I don't know if it's an American or not, American organization or not, or somebody from a foreign country, but whoever it is wants people to be scared about reopening the economy, you know, and uh, and this can be dangerous because this kind of crap becomes the truth. And then you're living in a freaky twilight zone world after that. So, um, you know, shocker headlines. 
Let's talk about the lie of omission. Uh, I see this all the time. I point this out on, on social media all the time. Once you see this, you'll be able to point these out to people. Um, here we go. Uh, the the patch.com, which is owned by AOL, which is owned by Time Warner, which is owned by CNN, which is owned by you know AT&T. Uh, you know, patch.com put out this, uh, it puts out a headline every single day talking about virus cases. And I don't know if they're trying to be helpful or they're just trying to scare the piss out of people. But here's what they say. They go, um, 1,425 confirmed OC coronavirus cases. Three more deaths Thursday. Three more deaths Thursday. You know, here's what's been omitted from the story. 80% of people who get the virus, you know, recover at home with no, with little or no or mild symptoms. Okay? That's 80%. The other 15%, maybe it gets serious, but it's not, it's not fatal. It's only life-threatening in 5% of cases. So if you're saying that 15, 1,425 people, you know, are com- confirmed to get the virus, what I just heard was, well, then a whole lot of people, you know, are going to get the virus for a short period of time and, and be well. It's really not that big a story. But they omit the information that would allow you to have the perspective to be able to react to that appropriately. And without that information, people just go off and buy toilet paper and wrap themselves in it and swaddle, I assume. Swaddle in toilet paper, I guess. Because they, you know, that's what's happening. That's why this became such a, a, you know, a a fiasco, to be honest. Uh, They leave out key pieces of data, which provides perspective for better decision making. Leaving out information is known as a lie of omission. You know it. You intentionally don't say it. And so why you didn't actually come out and lie by not telling 100% of the truth, you mislead people. It is highly unethical practice, to be honest. And it's just, um, it just should never be done. When we're talking about, when we're talking about the public good and the public trust, you know, this is what we're talking about. You don't commit lies of omission in the headline. You don't do it. You know, you, you know, you, know, you don't say things like, Brian Adam tests, you know, NFL player tests positive for coronavirus. They don't say that he's perfectly healthy. He had it three weeks ago and he's perfectly healthy. Yeah, he tested positive. And by the way, if you stick around at the end of the interview, why don't you watch him deadlift 300 pounds off the ground? You know what? It's like he's doing pretty well. So that's what you got to be careful of the Lyle mission. It's out there. Uh, And the last one I want to talk about is is what I call the experts. The experts. You know, uh, the WHO, the World Health Organization. Governments should restrict alcohol during the coronavirus lockdowns. Well, that's going to be popular. I feel I feel that there's a lot of popularity coming from that. Experts say, um, you know, uh, you know, uh, experts say X, experts say Y. You know, if experts came out and said doing the hokey pokey and turning yourself around would prevent the coronavirus, you'd have a bunch of idiots out in the street doing the hokey pokey. You know, we believe experts. It comes from a lot of a lot of different monikers, uh, health officials, medical experts, leading experts, um, you know, and they don't ever say who these idiots are, you know. And and then my favorite one, I used to make fun of at NAM all the time, all the time I used to use this, was emerging science. You know, what the hell is emerging science? I mean, I used to see that in stories all the time. I always point out, I would say, look, emerging science says that you, by drinking red wine, you're, you know, going to, you know, not have a heart attack or that kind of thing. It's like... Emerging science can't even talk. That's not even a person. That's just like a study or something. So these experts 
are very often mistaken uh, and, and sometimes just plain wrong and sometimes just making crap up. Um, remember the initial coronavirus spread models that the experts said was going, were going to happen? The experts' predictions, the experts' um, you know, the, the experts' uh, death tallies, uh, all, all that kind of stuff. Uh, how many people in the audience believe the experts got any of that stuff right? Right? They're, you know, I mean, m- the experts get it wrong way more than they get it right. So don't allow yourself to read a story and then go, well, the experts say this. I'm like, look, I hire experts to say things, okay? In public relations, what we we find experts to say what we need them to say, you know? So don't be fooled when you see the experts. It's just some idiot, you know, some idiot somewhere that may know something and who's probably going to get it wrong, especially when you're trying to predict such things as, as spread models and things of, of, of viruses. Um, why do news media use it? They use it because they've been taught to believe experts. You know, the reason we use it in PR is because it damn well works. We like it. It works. You know, that's why we do analyst programs in PR. Why do you think we take products out to analyst firms and get their opinions first? Why do you think we spend all this time working with analysts and and getting this? Because, uh, you know, that's why we seed products to influencers. That's why we get that. That's why this whole thing works. It works because people don't question authority enough when they're talking about experts. They don't ask questions like, well, from who? Who's paying them? Who, why did they say it? Who's, you know, we need to, as we move past the, the coronavirus situation here, we need to understand that the media have taken us on a joyride here that has no little fact. There's very little facts, a lot of fear and no facts, you know, because we do not question authority enough. We just believe crap randomly because it was on Fox News and some idiot experts said it, you know, and odds and honest to God, the guy was probably paid to say it. You know, well, that's the first question we need to ask. Was this moron paid to say something? You know, and we don't even ask that question. So, you know, so I'm, I've been trying to on this episode, I'm giving you guys some, um, you know, some ways to look at from media wordplay and ways to make sure that you make sure it doesn't work on you. And, uh, and I'm not advocating any of these practices, by the way, in our marketing profession. Um, I don't think you have to do it. If you do a good job storytelling, you don't have to do, um, you know, deceitful wordplay like this. Um, but uh, as a nation, we certainly need to stop falling for it. Um, you know, because when I look at the data for this coronavirus, you know, I see uh, I see a whole lot of fear and not a lot of and, and not a lot of anything else. I see a whole lot of smoke and not a lot of fire. You know, and I think that that's going to be the story that comes that comes next is that, you know, we shut down our whole economy because we all got scared because we started believing the wrong experts. And we started to, um, you know, I don't know, just all get afraid together at the same time. And the media just fed that. And I think that social media had a huge, huge part of it, uh, you know, saying it. So anyway, that's uh, that's it for segment one. You guys are tuned to me, the best brand win on Intertalk Media, uh, the undisputed leader on Music Biz Talk. Uh, come on back in segment two, and uh, we're going to talk about who's winning and losing in this crazy week. So, uh, so come on back. We'll see you in a few.
Happy Friday, everybody. You are tuned to Make the Best Brand Win on Intertalk Media, the undisputed leader in music biz talk. I am Scott, your host. Uh, we've been talking about the dangers of media wordplay on this show. It's been kind of fun so far. Hopefully, I gave you some. I gave you um, a few that that I've noticed being used uh, out there um, in segment one and in segment three. I'm going to tell you how to beat those. Tell you how to get past those and not have those work on you. But let's shift gears and talk about winning and losing real quick. So, oh uh, man, you guys have heard that the the money has run out uh, for the the uh, SBA PPP program. For small businesses, well, turns out that some big restaurant chains are responsible for that. And uh, big, uh, big stories out today on this: a big restaurant chains take thirty million in coronavirus loans meant for small businesses. Big chains like uh, Potbelly Sandwich Shop and Ruth Chris uh, Steakhouse got sizable loans, uh, thirty million dollar loans. Um, uh, they inked deals for twenty million dollars in loans under the 2.2 trillion coronavirus stimulus bill uh, passed last month. Uh, so there's no money for small businesses, the small the small farmers, uh, my public relations firm, everybody else that's out there. There's no money for those people. But Ruth's Chris Steakhouse, which is a franchise, and that's illegal by the state, by the way that the loans have, were structured. You can't even use a franchise. But Ruth's Chris Steakhouse was able to get $20 million. Um, if that doesn't tell you how our government works, nothing ever will. Nothing will ever make sense, you know, it makes sense to you. I mean, you know, loans that were targeted, you know, by the president and by the SBA for small businesses get eaten up by large businesses and franchises, which shouldn't even be eligible for that particular program. All kinds of losing. But one reason I included it in winning and losing today is uh, if you are doing PR for Ruth's Chris Steakhouse, oh my God. You are screwed. You, I mean, honest to God, you you would be better off changing the name of the company at this point and rebranding as something completely different because everybody's going to remember you as the people who stole money out of the, you know, the, the SBA program. And, and the reason why uh, small businesses went out of business and didn't get any money is because of Ruth Chris Steakhouse, right? And, and they, I mean, no one's going to eat at that steakhouse ever again. They are done. That it is over. And and people say, oh, Scott, that's that's crazy. This this guy thing. Let me give you a, a media one. You know, they could go out of business. And by could, I mean absolutely will be going out of business without any sort of a doubt in my mind. You know, because a, a, a move like that and to get publicized in that manner, unless it's false. I mean, if all the media reports are false, and that kind of thing, and they just threw Ruth Chris Steakhouse under the bus, then, um, then, then that's one way out. But if that's true, if that's true, you will forever be known as the company that took money out of uh, small businesses' hands, and that is a, that's not going to work out for you. So all kinds of losing. And I, I really, God, who, God, whoever's doing PR for Ruth Chris Steakhouse, uh, they, they're going to need a lot of stiff drinks. They're going to need a lot of stiff, a lot of stiff drinks. That's that's going to be an impossible one to get out of. Um, you know, coyotes, bobcats, and bears um, are reclaiming the the uh, Yosemite National Park uh, because of all the people not being there. The uh, the basically the the park is just being sort of overrun with a whole bunch more wildlife. Um, you know. 
I got to say, I think that's winning. I mean, I guess I, I, I don't think that, you know, it's their park. I got to say. So, you know, I think that's probably a, probably a pretty good thing. But um, it's, there's a great story on it, by the way, in LATimes.com this week. Um, and it says, thanks to the coronavirus, <laughs> Yosemite National Park is closed. And, uh, and all this wildlife is like prospering like never before. The air in Los Angeles is clearer than before. Um, you know, so it's like, you know, you know, silver lining for just about everything. Right. I mean, our, our outside world has never been treated better now that we've been forced uh, back on our holes for a little while. So I got to say that's winning. Um, should we talk about Land of Lakes? New, you know, we always talk about new packaging, new branding, that sort of thing. They have a hundred year, hundred year anniversary coming up. Land of Lakes does butter and uh, various other products. They're a farmer owned cooperative, Land of Lakes Inc. They unveiled some new packaging this week, um, you know, which featured farmers who are the foundation of the cooperative's membership. And I guess there's two ways to look at this story. I've seen it reported two ways. Talk about media wordplay. I've seen it reported two ways. Basically, they were saying, look, we're going to focus on, we're rebranding and we're going to focus on farmer owned and we're going to focus above the Land of Lakes. You know, Land of Lakes famously has kind of the Indian princess sitting there and it's a very famous logo. You know, it's been there forever, that, that kind of thing. You know, but now they're going to, like I said, depending on where you read the story, uh, a lot of people, you know, immediately jumped on the fact of they're removing the Native Americans from the, you know, from the packaging, you know, you know, how dare they and and they suck and, and and that kind of thing. And then and then there's another narrative that basically says, well, they're celebrating farmers. And I think, the, you know, the company's narrative is, is basically they're trying to say, hey, we're celebrating farmers. It's our 100 year anniversary. This is what we're going to try to do on the packaging. Um, you know, the packaging is iconic. There's no doubt about it. In fact, other butter brands at the um, at the store, you know, they copy the colors, they copy the the look of Land O'Lakes, you know, I mean, you've seen it. So hmm. what I would say about it is this, I think, you know, you, even if you do a good job of explaining what you're trying to do, farmer owned and, and this kind of thing, there's definitely going to be a group there that will still, you know, like their, their, their new packaging says, all together better. We're proud to be farmer owned because we share a belief that together we are better. hundred years later, 1700 dairy farmers strong. We still believe the working side by side makes us and our butter better. Uh, land visit landolakes.com. But then there's all these other stories that say that they, Oh, they took the, the native American out there and then they must hate native Americans and, and, uh, and, and, and that, and that sort of thing. I mean, I, you know, I don't know about that. I think, um, I think it is a good lesson for all of us that no matter how well you explain something, uh, somebody's always going to be looking uh, for something else in your story. Could they could be this? They could maybe they may be this that kind of thing. But um, you know, I think it is. Uh, uh, it's probably a good rebrand. You know, I think the most the, the biggest danger to me has nothing to do with removing the Native American princess or 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 what have you or anything. The biggest danger is brand brand equity. When you have something that the rest of the market has tried to copy for so long and tried to be like, and then you move away from it, I think you stand an extraordinarily good chance of everybody not knowing that you are you and thinking that they are you. And if they think they are you, I mean, butter is not a considered purchase, ladies and gentlemen of the jury. If I'm walking through the store, you know, I mean, and I'm out of butter, I'm like, okay, I'm out of, I'm out of butter. Am I going to get land legs? I don't know. What, what's here? What's here? What's cheap? What's up? Boom. It's a, it's a five second purchase, you know, that kind of thing. And there could be, you know, some, do I buy land lakes butter? I had to go look, to be honest, when I was thinking about that, I was like, I, I uh, 
we have like challenge butter or something, but it looks damn straight like Land O'Lakes, I guess. So um, I think the greatest danger is giving up your brand equity position in the marketplace. I think when you have something that's iconic and you're going to change it, you better have a really good reason for changing it. And you better be sure, you know, it's, it's the Coke classic new Coke, you know, branding kind of thing. It's like, are you going to give up all of your market position for whatever this is, this new thing? So. I don't know. I think it's, um, I think I'd probably put it under, under winning unless they get confused in the marketplace. Oh man. So, uh, buddy of mine sent me this one, but, uh, uh, should we talk about Nancy Pelosi? Uh, nobody's having a worse week than, than she is. She's, um, self quarantining and taking a vacation and, and, uh, you know, in, in California or whatever. And she did an interview this week on uh, the late, late show basically where she talked about, oh, well, I'm, you know, I'm just eating ice cream to get through this because I'm just a regular person, which is fine until the fact that she's eating, you know, really expensive, really obviously expensive ice cream. And then she has a refrigerator. She's filmed with a refrigerator behind her. That's like a really expensive refrigerator. I think somebody said it was like $24,000 refrigerator. So it really has a real Marie Antoinette um, feel to it. And, and people should know better than this. You should know better than this. They're, they're looking. They're looking for you. You know, if you're a member of Congress, you know they're looking for you to be living an extravagant lifestyle. Don't hand it to them on the late late show. What kind of idiot are you? I mean, you know. I mean, and 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 honestly, there's there's so many people that in, in the in the midst of that shot that could have said, can can we shoot this somewhere else? Or can we? You know, it's just it's just um, you know. I'm going to use it as a as a a lesson. You know, people in PR were trained to notice those kind of things, the optics of those kind of stories right away and make sure that we don't do dumb stuff like that. But somebody did and um it's causing her all kinds of problems. It really uh it creates a real, you know, Nancy Antoinette kind of feel uh, for that story. So, uh definitely losing, definitely not uh not, not in the winning category. You know, retail stores are in the news this week. Um, you know, retail's always been tough. There's no doubt about it. So tough. Um, and long before there was a, a pandemic, AP did a big story on this today, by the way. Uh, brick and mortar retailers are really struggling to get people to walk through the doors instead of shopping online. And now, um, you know, all of these stores, uh, you know, have, have been shuttered. 60% of, of U.S. retail square footage According to global retail, uh, global data retail has done has been shut down. I mean, that's all kinds of losing. Close to home in the music industry, I saw a thing the music trades put out, and they said that um, the Q1 music sales uh, are likely to be uh, a re- at a record low. Uh, you know, because there's no sell through through the retail chains, and and that was um, that's still a huge percentage of the music products industry's business. Um, yeah, I think that is true. You know, and of course, don't forget a lot, a lot of those things that retail are selling services to like music lessons. A lot of that stuff had to move online as well. Um, I mean, it had to move online. Um, retail is definitely losing. Retail is going to need our help to get back. We are going to have to retrain ourselves to um, accept sort of the inconvenience of, um, of of retail, I think, if we're going to save a lot of these stores. Um, and I do, th- I do think that the conversation is is going to be different, wh- you know, as 
you know, as consumers, we have to start to look at what businesses can we, you know, can we support and save these people? You know, I think that's what is, is going to have to happen. So, um, uh, but certainly losing for now, no doubt about it. You know who's winning? Uh, NASA. Uh, NASA was winning last week. They they went back to their uh, their really cool like worm logo. But this week, they discovered a new planet. <laughs> Straight up, they discovered uh, what they are calling uh, a, an Earth-like exoplanet uh, lurking, lurking out there in deep space. Uh, the now retired Kepler Space Telescope discovered this thing. And it's uh, 300 light years from us, which is a long way, right? Um, but it's very similar to Earth in size and estimated temperature out of the thousands of exoplanets discovered by Kepler. So a lot of people are calling this sucker um, the second Earth. It receives 75% of the amount of light we get from the sun. It has its right, the temperatures, the same amount of water, uh, you know, I, you know th- those kind of things. It's uh, in orbit around a red dwarf star, um, that's not super safe uh, from an astronomical point of view. Uh, you know, a red dwarf star um, sends out uh, flares that blow up planets apart. And so uh, that, you know, reading the story about it, I encourage you to read all about it. I don't have time to dig into it too much. Just the fact that NASA's still winning. It's in CNET today. Uh, AP did a story on it as well. It's also in USA Today. Um, uh, they, call it the, uh, they call it the second Earth. And we're going to say that that's definitely, definitely winning. Uh, I will also encourage you, you know, Paul B uh, from the show sent me a video um, called every coronavirus or every COVID commercial is exactly the same. And it all has the same like piano, uh, somber piano music. And then a voice comes in and says, for more than 75 years, blank, blank has provided the blank that has allowed the blank to blank, blank, blank. Right. And so, um, you know, uh, it's really funny as a marketer, you, you will, you will laugh your butt off because you realize that all these companies put out ads at the same time. They all like have slides and we're with you and, and the somber piano music and, you know, this kind of thing. It's really funny as a marketer, you will enjoy it so much. So, uh, do, go and check out every COVID commercial is exactly, exactly the same. And you know, that is who's winning and losing this week. So uh, come on back in segment three. I am going to return to our topic of uh, media wordplay and teach you how to recognize and not be affected by some of this devious media wordplay out there. Come on back. We'll see you in a minute. Hey, everybody. Happy Friday. You are tuned to me, the best brand win on InterTalk Media. Uh, I am your host, Scott, and we're hanging out talking about that deceptive, deceptive media wordplay that's out there. So I'm going to teach you how to recognize some of this stuff and not be affected by it. Uh, so we'll do a little review from the first segment, and then I'll give you some um, some defense mechanisms that you can start to use. Uh, let's start with let's start with may and could. Remember in the first segment we talked about the media used the words may and could, and then they quickly move to a transition to will. Right. So uh, so the, the coronavirus may spread by the soles of your shoes. The coronavirus experts say the, the may, you know, it could do this. It could do that. You know, um, it could. And, and remember, I, I, I you know, just gave you an example of, of, of Governor Newsom's conference press conference here in, in uh, California, where he said more than half of California could contract the virus. 
And in the next, the very next hour, uh, KTLA reports, more than half of Californians will get infected with coronavirus in the next two months, Newsom says. But he didn't say that. He said could. The jump between could and will is a big jump. A really big jump. The jump between could and will is not an automatic thing you get to do as a journalist. You know, it's a it's not an automatic, you know, and and it's important. It's right. It's we talk about the public trust. I mean, that's a that's a hugely misleading statement. The guy did flat out freaking didn't say it. You know, he said could. He didn't say will. Very important. So here's what I use and here and what I encourage you to use when you see a headline that says may or could you see the words may or could then you instantly need to say it also may not and could not. And then um, I have another device that I like to use that, yeah, I mean, again, an asteroid could smash into my my studio, uh, you know, today and kill me. Is it likely that that's going to happen? The word likely diffuses fear in a may and could scenario. The word likely diffuses fear in a may and could scenario. If you do a may and could scenario and you say oh, a, um, a, a meteorite may smash into Scott's studio and thus ending his ban and his very successful public relations firm. Great, but it also could not. Is it likely to happen? Is a meteorite likely to smash in here? You know, is that is that going to happen? Hang on one second. I feel like my broadcast just stopped. I don't know why it did. Nope, it didn't. Sorry. I just lost it there for a second. That's my own technical difficulties. My bad. So anyway, may and could best defense may not could not. Also, don't forget to use likely to happen. Likely to happen. Really, really important. That helps reset boundaries. You know, um, sure, something may happen, something could happen. Is it likely to happen, right? What's likely? You know, re- that, that, that really, really helps. Um, so let's move on to the shocker headline. Uh, the government's small business loan money is gone. Now what? Oh, my God. New York, New Jersey governor ignores the Bill of Rights in exclusive interview. Um, L.A. Rams Center tests positive for coronavirus. Um, the best defense just understand when somebody's trying to bait you uh, understand that they they know that you like to click on stories with that keyword and they are counting on it they're counting on the fact that they're they can bait you and they can trick you and they and they you know they, and and just don't let them and just don't let them when you see a story i have to do that sometimes when i see a story and i'm like oh i'm really angry about that i want to share that i'm like wait a minute hold up algorithms listening the algorithm, the Facebook algorithm is paying attention to what you're doing. It is very, very likely that, you know, it's going to uh, send you more of that stuff. If you do that, don't do that. Don't, you know, don't get baited. The shocker is, is there to pull you in. Don't get pulled in, you know, unless you want to get pulled in and then, and then come in with a, a mind that says, well, I came in because I was curious to see this, but I understand that they're trying to bait me, and I understand that this could be complete horse crap and, and that kind of thing, and it generally is, so there you go. The lie of omission. Um, when you see a headline that says 1,425 confirmed new cases, three more deaths today, ask yourself this key question that no one ever asks themselves. What are they leaving out? What have they left out of this story 
Why would they leave it out? Why doesn't every story on CNN and MSNBC start with the thing of, um, well, we have this many uh, cases and this many deaths today. Of course, we know that 95% of people will recover at home with mild symptoms. You know, why do they leave that out? Because when I hit you with that secondary statement, I reduced your fear. And they're afraid that if you reduce your fear, you might not behave the way they want you to behave, whether however it is. They feel that fear is the way to get you to pay attention to what they're doing. Like I said, like a small toddler that uh, pulls the dog's tail just to get your attention, you know, and then, you know what I mean? It, it's they, they misbehave to get your attention. So don't give it to them. No, that's what I would say. That's your best defense is to ask yourself what they're leaving out. Again, you know, if you. You know, if you know that 95% of the cases of the virus recover at home with mild symptoms, then ask yourself, why wasn't that information included? You know, if they know that all of the hospitals in Orange County, California are generally sitting there empty, then why would they try to make you feel like uh, a hospital is overrun with uh, patients and has too many people and doesn't have enough uh, you know, things? You know, I mean, it's like, what are they trying to make you feel? What? Why are they leaving stuff out? Be a, a consumer of the news, a very um, educated consumer of the news. Very important. So anyway, uh, the experts. Here's how you deal with the experts. You know, best defense against the experts are going to say, Experts say this, and experts, CDC expert says this, and who expert says this, and this, this, don't automatically just believe them because it says expert. You know, I mean, it's like, you know, Keith Keith Richards is an expert in staying in staying alive through, you know, doing all kinds of different drugs and stuff or whatever, but he doesn't have any medical experience. You know, I mean, just be careful how people are being used and positioned as an expert in your world, and before you automatically assign them that status, you know. Do a little bit of your own research, you know, and don't just say, oh, well, the expert said so, so it must be true. Because I would say the expert said so, and, it, and, and it's very likely not true. It's very likely to be something that they desperately want to be true, but is not actually true. Okay, so, you know, don't automatically believe them. You know, if just the final note that I want to say on this is if things are being put in front of you, always ask, why are they there? What are they trying to elicit from me? Is it fear? Is it anger? You know, what are they looking to get from me? Are they looking to get attention, shares, likes, clicks? You know, and then make sure that you really, really want to comply with that before you just mindless. I was talking to a guy on Facebook yesterday. He believes that the coronavirus has killed millions of people worldwide. That is not accurate. You know, for the cheap seats, I will say this. It has killed 150,000 people so far worldwide, a tiny fraction of the millions or whatever that this guy thought it had killed. And and then he and he just said, well, you know, it's very serious and it's killed millions and millions of people. And I'm like, the hell it has. That is not accurate. You have to tell people that 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 is not true. That is BS. You know, the. I, you know, I have a dashboard that pulls the coronavirus in data in from all over the world and populates it. You could have it too. It's completely free. There's a bunch of them out there. You know, uh, don't just automatically believe what somebody wants you to believe. You know, trust. 
you know, but I mean, verify and then trust that kind of thing. Really, really important. Um, again, um, for example, I just before I started the show, there's that social post going around about the 1917 Spanish flu and how people rushed back into the streets too soon and a lot more people died. Um, yes, technically, that's true. That, that, that is definitely true. In 1917, people, um, you know, d- during the, the Spanish flu, uh, you know, pandemic, p- the, there was the Philadelphia parade. It did flood the Philadelphia hospitals with cases afterwards. A bunch of people did die. All of that is true. However, what aren't they telling you? Here's a couple of key things that, that are different. A, this virus isn't remotely as deadly as the Spanish flu. Not even the same. It's, I mean, not even in the same conversation as that virus. Okay. So the spread model was completely different. The virus was completely different, but it's being shared. Ask yourself why people are sharing, why people are asking you to share, because somebody out there wants to stall the economy, the opening up of the economy. That's the only reason. Wants to scare people. Wants to continue to fill people with fear. Fear of an unseen enemy, right? Um, So don't share stuff like that. I tell people on Facebook, I say, don't share it. It's false. It's designed to scare people. Why would you want to intentionally scare people? That's just stupid. You know, don't be a vehicle for somebody else's maniacal stupidity. I mean, it's just, it's not okay. The gas pump thing, the same thing. People said, Scott, are you wearing gloves at the gas pump? And then, you know, because you could get COVID-19 from blah, 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 blah. You know, I could get it from a lot of places, but here's the kicker. I wash my hands a lot. I wash them like Jack Nicholson is as good as it gets. So it's like, you know, um, so I'm not going to get the virus. You know what? I mean, there could be somebody here right next to coughing me on it. I'm still not going to friggin' get it because I prop, practice proper hygiene, you know. And if I do get it, it's going to be the it's going to be a flu, you know. I'm. It's just, uh, it, you know, it's good. That's how it's going to affect most people. Is why I say that. You know, my point is, these social posts that we're all sharing and scaring the crap out of each other with, they're likely false. They come from a source that's trying to get you to share them for another purpose that's not disclosed in the post. All right? Question that stuff. Question it. I've had three people share with me today the stupid Spanish flu one. Every single time I go through there and I say, while that's true, while that's factually true, there's no comparison between these things. You know, it's just it's just designed to scare people. You know? I mean, I don't, I don't know why people would want to do that, but they do. That's what happens. So what have we learned today? As marketers, you know, we need to know these word tricks. You know, as, as consumers of news, we need to know these word tricks. But as marketers, we do too. These are being used on us and pe- other people in the world as we, you know, as we try to move forward and do things in the name of protecting the public trust. You know, the public good. Uh, I believe in the public good. I believe in the public trust. I believe that public relations can be a force for good in doing that, in doing so. Um, I know there are some other people who practice the, the, the things that I do who don't believe that and who, um, you know, don't care about the public trust. And they also don't care about invading people's privacy. And they also don't care about, uh, you know, they, they don't care about a lot of things. People have very different ethical compasses in this world, you know. That still means something to me. It means something to you. We're going to need all the communicators of the world to be the first ones to sound the alarm when others try to use our tools 
to do bad stuff out there. You know, hopefully now uh, by this episode, I've been trying to impart a little knowledge to you so you know a little bit more about what they're doing to you, how they're doing it exactly, and you can fight back. And I encourage you to fight back because I believe that this pandemic that we uh, uh, that is basically a, uh, a media-induced panic attack with very little real data and very little real sub- substance to it. And the, the only real substance that we have is that 22 million of us are now unemployed and our businesses are now in, um, in danger. And that's a real number. That's a real number that's going to be with us for a long time. So, um, you know, I, I just think that uh, if we know how to discern what's being told to us, we're going to be a lot better in uh, deflecting it and not believing it and maybe not you know, rummaging the store shelves for too much toilet paper or something. Well, that's it for me, folks. Uh, We'll see you next week with another super fun show. Have a good one. Don't believe that media stuff without, you know, trust, verify, trust. See ya. Bye-bye.